just a quick warning that we're going to be talking about existentialism, lots of death, lots of falling, corruption, uh, some stuff like that, being forgotten. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, skip these next few episodes. everyone and welcome to another episode of a hopeless endeavor we are still talking about sapo condigan but this will be the last one my name part is eight yeah that's sam i'm nikki part eight sapo condigan last part longest series uh we have so far i'm sure that will expand as we move along uh okay this was a really fun song to talk about. Very intimidating. If you guys have thoughts and theories, contact us. We would love to hear from you. Um, and in the meantime, enjoy our discussion. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm just going to reread the lyrics that we read last episode just to refresh everyone's memory as to what we're talking about. So she so beautifully and masterfully writes, he said, it's all right and it's all over now and boarded the plane. His belt unfastened. The boy was known to show unusual daring and called a boy, this alderman, confounding Tammany Hall, in whose employ King Tamanand himself preceded John's fall. So we all raise the standard to which the wise and honest soul may repair, to which a hunter a hundred years from now may look in despair <laughs> and see with wonder the tributes we have left to rest in the park, swearing that our hair stood on end to see John Perry Mitchell depart for the Western Front, where work might count, all exunt, all go out, await the hunter to decipher the stone, and what lies under now, the city is gone. Look in despair. Look in despair. Okay. Yes, all over the place. The boy was not a show unusual daring. He was called a boy. Okay, I asked David about the sentence structure here, and we like debated about it and thought about it for a long time and then came to no satisfying conclusion. But let me <laughs> try to explain my confusion here. This is like the most confused I am about sentence structure. Okay, so um, she writes... The boy was known to show unusual daring and called a boy, this alderman, confounding Tammany Hall, in whose employ King Tamanand himself preceded John's fall. So, like, I have 20 questions about this. Mm -hmm. First question is, who is in whose employ here? So, on my interpretation, it sounds like either the alderman is in the employ of King Tamanand. No, no, sorry opposite um king Tamanand is in the employ of the alderman or that king Tamanand is in the employ of tammany hall so this alderman confounding tammany hall in whose employ king Tamanand. so in other words king Tamanand is not the boss and either the alderman or tammany hall is the boss right like if i say person a is in the employ of person b Mm -hmm. Wait, I'm confusing myself right now. This you say person A is in the employee of person B. That means person A is working for 
person B and person B is the boss. Yes. Okay. Totally. But then if I say person A in whose employ person B? <laughs> English is so stupid. English is so stupid. Can you say it again? In whose employ? Yeah. Person A. So so Nikki, in whose employ Sam did X, I think means Sam is employed by Nikki. Nikki is the boss and Sam is working for her. Nikki, in whose employ Sam? So yeah, Nikki is the person who is doing the employing. Nikki, in whose employ? Whose employ? Nikki's, we just said. It's tricky. So we have the characters in the sentence are the boy. We have Tammany Hall, which is not a person. No. What is Tammany Hall? Tammany Hall is, so apparently Americans learn about this in like their history classes, but basically it's just like. We are not American. For we are not American. No. America. So from what I gather, it is a um, political governing. It's like saying like parliament or something like, it, okay. but it refers to a specific place. So it's like a place for legislating and making decisions and and New Yorking mm -hmm. uh, and in the political realm. But apparently it was widely known for its corruption. Like it was very, very corrupt. Okay. Tammany Hall, okay. known as the Society of St. Tammany, the Sons of St. Tammany, or the Columbian Order, was a New York political organization founded in 1786 and incorporated as the Tammany Society. It became the main local political machine of the Democratic Party and played a major role in controlling New York City and New York State. Uh, politics and helping immigrants, most notably the Irish, rise in American politics from the 1790s to the 1960s. That's a long time. That's a long time. And apparently Tammany Hall is named after King Tamanin. So King Tamanin was the chief of the Lenape people. He's like apparently known for his like being very peaceful and like reasonable. And so and he was also like a nickname for him was, I think, St. Tammany. Um, yes. And so... Yeah. Yeah, so Tammany Hall was named after King Tamanand. Okay, and then I think that this alderman refers to the boy, which refers to John Pre Mitchell, because she's saying, yes. like, he's called a boy, but really he's an alderman. Like, he's already in charge of, he's been in charge of shit and has, like, done he's his been in charge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have John Pre Mitchell, we have Tammany Hall, and we have King Tamanand. Okay. So we have John Pre Mitchell in whose employ King Tamanand? So it sounds like John Prey Mitchell is doing the. I think we can take bossing. employ less to mean uh, working for and more to mean like in the spirit of. Interesting. So, uh, what I mean by that is like, I think we're comparing King Taminand to John Pori Mitchell in that they're both doing the same peaceful mm. kind of negotiation thing. Please yeah, let I me like know if that. I'm wrong about that. Yeah, but. yeah. Help us out with this sentence, you guys. Because, like, initially my confusion was, like, well, look, King, King Tamanand, like, obviously came way before John yeah. Pori Mitchell. And so how is King Tamanand working for John Pori Mitchell? Like, none of that makes any sense. But... I like the idea that it's just like in this spirit of because if King Tamanand 
um, was known to be like peaceful and reasonable. And John Perry Mitchell is like working to undo the corruption of the building named after the guy who's known to be reasonable. Then, yeah, then there is some sort of like spiritual connection between like, look, these guys are like the good guys and there's Tammany Hall being all corrupt. Um, but I think there's something to be said too for like the distortion of like the way that we remember things. I don't have an eloquent way of putting this, but the idea that Tammany Hall is all corrupt and like stands for like, you know, white at that time, Democrat meant something very different, Mm -hmm. you know, um, white Democrats in Tammany Hall being terrible. Um, like in the building that's named after this guy who's actually like really peaceful and not corrupt. Um, and not white. Uh, I don't know. I have a bunch of confusing thoughts. I think there has something, there's something to be said about what it means to be peaceful as a Lenape person dealing with white colonists too. Mm-hmm. Like what choice do you have in that really I don't know. Like there's all of these, um, the Wikipedia, Wikipedia page says, um, Taminen reputedly took part in a meeting between the leaders of the Lenny Lenape nation and the leaders of the Pennsylvania colony held under a large elm tree in the early 1680s. William Penn and Tamanand continued to sign seven more documents assuring each other and their peoples of peaceable understanding after the initial one in 1683. Tamanand is recording as having said that the Lenny Lenape and the English colonists would, quote, live in peace as long as the waters run in the rivers and creeks, as long as the stars and the moon endure, which is like a beautiful thing to say. And I'm happy that it's like remembered as this peaceful agreement, but it also makes me wonder like, you know, what was lost in that. Yeah. As with anything colonized. We know that that's not what happened. So like whatever the agreement was, like I have, I have no problem believing that the Lenape chief would say, would like enter this agreement in good faith and, um, and actually be like hoping for and planning for peace. And then the U.S. government or like the white colonists in charge definitely didn't abide by that yeah. uh, agreement, right? Exactly. And so to be peaceful might just mean like he had faith in people. Um, and it turns out those people let him down in like a very big way. And I wonder if we can tie that into John Pori Mitchell somehow and like his faith in not wearing a seatbelt. Or <laughs> <laughs> um, his faith in in the idea that he can uncorrupt Tammany Hall, right? That he yeah. can like rid these organizations of um, like, you know, the bad apples rather than thinking that like these are unsalvageable. Um, both seem to have had sort of like a faith in in humanity to some extent. Yeah. But this, I mean, so this helps, this conversation helps me make sense of this line. I am still a little confused too. Like why then, 
Why is it relevant then that King Taminin preceded John's fall? Maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe there's nothing to be made of that. He came before John's fall. Um, I'm not sure. I was also wondering what um, confounding might mean here. So I was thinking that you can confound something in two ways. So John mm-hmm. might be confounding Tammany Hall in that he might be like confusing them. Yeah. Or he might be confounding Tammany Hall as he might be, as in he might be complicating things in Tammany Hall. I think that's the way I looked at it. Um, confounding is just like getting in the way, causing yeah. problems. Yeah. You know, I like that. Working against what, whatever the norm is there. Yeah, totally. Okay. Lordy. Yeah, and I think it's just saying that King Taminim himself maybe tried to do something similar preceding John Barry Mitchell's death. Mm-hmm. Like in the same in the same boat. Yeah, I like your idea that it's like in the same spirit. So King Taminim is in the employ of John Barry Mitchell in or spirit. the other way around really like if king taminin came first then yeah yeah to me that way makes more sense but then that's why i get confused at the sentence structure just because then it doesn't yeah i'm not sure yeah me neither (laughs) all right good stuff we don't know help us with this particular verse Yeah, I would love that. I would love if someone just wrote us with answers. That would be great. Me too. Me too. Uh, I might actually even post to like the Facebook Joanna Newsom News and Discussion page just to see if anybody has theories about this. I'm curious. I'm going to check our email quick and see if I don't think anyone sent us anything. No. No. Oh, wait. I lied. Ah. Okay. I don't know if we scroll through my notes here. Did we include this? No. Okay. Let's read. Let's read this. This is an email from (laughs) uh, Simon. And Simon says, Simon signs off their email by saying, stand brave, which just kills me. Knife to the heart. So, Simon was just sending some uh, the email title is thoughts on the overarching themes, questions, and answers in divers. So I'll just read what it says about um, maybe anecdotes and Sapaconigan because that's where we are in the album. Simon says, I'm just getting started on your anecdotes episodes. Um, Something that really stuck in my mind, though, was in one of your pre-lyric discussions where you said that Joanna had maybe said that all the songs are connected by the same kind of question. But it was the question she was elucidating, elucidating, I don't know how to say that word, elucidating, I'm going to say, not the answer. Good word, Simon. I'm increasingly convinced that Joanna was either not being completely honest, maybe being a bit humble. Or maybe just unconscious of it. I think she's right that the songs ask the same question, but I also think they provide the answer. Mm. To my mind, the question is, existence is is huge. Time is vast, unknowable, and unfathomable. The time and place that we occupy is so, so minuscule in comparison that if you consider it closely, you may come to think that you barely exist. 
with the limitless potential that we feel in our souls and spirits, how can you possibly be satisfied with your life? That's what I think she's asking. But here's the thing. Love the how you write this, Simon. It's so good. I think she's also answering it. So these are two answers that Simon found. So in anecdotes, she sings. We sing to the garden. We sing to the stars. We sing in the meantime. So the answer that Simon has here is, regardless of how little it might seem, activity itself is purposeful and important. And in Sepulconigan, this line we're about to read. So we all raise a standard to which a hunter a hundred years from now may look and see with wonder the tributes we have left. And the meaning that Simon finds here is, nothing you do is without consequence. Everything leaves an imprint and you can't know your legacy and impact. And I'll stop there because Simon goes through all of the songs on the album, which is incredible. And we will surely come to that. Thank you so much, Simon. Thank you so much, Simon. Yeah, I really love that. I love the idea that she is providing the answer. I love the idea that in anecdotes, one of the answers is like, well, we like occupy ourselves. We sing to all these things. (laughs) Uh, We like distract ourselves kind of. And then this one is like, no, we like try to be enduring. Um, We we raise a standard. Um, So... It might be worth talking about what it means to raise a standard. Sure. Um, what does it mean? <laughs> so remember, we talked about um, how this was a George Washington quote. So this appears directly in Washington Square Park on oh, the... Oh, Yeah. I think it's on the actual monument, but the um, quote is, uh, let us raise a standard to which the wise and honest can repair. The event is in the hand of God. And it's attributed to George Washington um, from the 1797 U.S. Constitutional Convention. And then I found this um, article where they get into a little bit more uh, like the full quote and context that Washington said. So apparently the whole uh, sort of paragraph from which that quote is from goes like this. Um It is said he too probable that no plan we propose will be adopted. Perhaps another dreadful conflict is to be sustained. If to please the people, we offer what we ourselves disapprove, how can we afterwards defend our work? Let us raise a standard to which the wise and honest can repair. The event is in the hand of God. So like the idea that... um, we have to be the example, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that sort of what you get from that? Like we have to like set the standard. Yeah. Um, like behave well, I guess, you know? Yeah, I think what I take from that is that we don't know what will be remembered and we have no control over that. So all we can do is raise the standards of our own choices and our own behaviors and try and do well. Yeah, and like ironically, it's in contrast to war to warring. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's like, maybe there's gonna be another dreadful conflict, but like all we can do is like raise the standard where we're not fighting with each other. And then hopefully other people will not fight too. Yeah, live by I example. Yeah, live by example. 
Um, so sorry, I didn't mean to hijack the amazing insights from Simon by getting into that. I just wanted to get clear on what we no, meant No, no, that it. was the line that, that they were talking about yeah, too. Yeah. Um, no, I think it connected well. All good. Okay. Um, so we all raise a standard. I want to tie it into somehow like the good intentions of King Taminand and John Perry Mitchell. Yeah. Like reflecting on these parts of history, we all raise a standard. What does the next line mean though? To which the wise and honest soul may repair. In my head, it's like, I think you're exactly right that it connects to like the spirit of John Perry Mitchell and the spirit of King Taminand. Um, and that it answers the question that Simon set out, which is that like the answer being like, we try, like that's what we do to sort of like combat this like existential dread is like we try. And so like what it means to try is that we can set the example, like live nobly, live well in terms of like, like do, yeah, I don't know, like, be noble, be, uh, like dignified in some sort of way. And like, uh, if you're a wise and honest soul, um, if you have good intentions, like you can get there, you just have to try, right? Like you can repair your wise and honest soul if you're actually good intentioned and you're not corrupt and you're not, you know, just looking to fight or whatever. Like we have to try to be good and to live well and to set this example. And I love the positioning of that as a sort of answer, a answer to what do we do with this existential dread and like the fact that we're all going to die? Well, we live, we live well. We like set an example. We live well. We set an example. We set such an example that if a hunter a hundred years from now finds the remains of all of these wise and honest things we tried to do, they may look and despair at the loss of us, but also see us with wonder. Yeah, yeah, totally. See us with wonder. Like, look at these noble people who like, we're trying man yeah they were trying (laughs) exactly (laughs) i wonder if that can be said to like all monuments that have been lost like is that the vibe that she's trying to get across here that like people try people are trying yeah i mean i think that's definitely a theme we're trying Oh, God. I got emotional at that. <laughs> yeah. Like trying our best. Everybody's just trying their best and like trying to make their work count and like trying to have a meaningful impact. And this hunter, a hundred year, years from now, will come across these monuments um, that describe our having tried like this. And, and like that will make him despair about the fact that it's all gone now, right? Like the fact that like we were all trying so much almost makes our lives more like, like 
it's like more heartbreaking than that we get forgotten because we're all trying to do well or something, you know, yeah. we're not just like uh, these like, uh, like aggressive people that, I, I don't know, it's like less, maybe this is wrong. It's like less to me, at least I have the intuition that it's a bit less heartbreaking to think of an entire civilization being lost to history if we know about that civilization that it was like horrible and like mm -hmm. you know tortured its people or like enslaved other people or you know which is ironic in the context of the United States but um it is and that's what I'm stuck on I mean New York itself didn't have enslaved people that was not legal in New York at least so maybe there's and like she might be appealing to like the like this very idealized sort of conception of like what what America should be, which I think there is something to at least like what America should be is free of racism and enslavement and fucking colonization and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's like something there to aspire to, to be noble and to try to not fight wars. In reality, it's obviously very different in that. America is extremely warfighty, extremely enslavement, extremely colonization. Like, but there's this ideal uh, that we like to tell ourselves the story of that, like, um, that we should try to be better than that, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I agree that it's speaking to that greater ideal. Um, and that maybe that's, that's the point of monuments, that it's the ideal that's remembered and not the actuality of history. Yeah. Like not the dirty way that it actually was, but like these sort of more romanticized idealiz idealizations of it. Yeah. And I think that ties in nicely to may look in despair and see with wonder the tributes we have left to rest in the park, swearing that our hair stood on end to see John Poray Mitchell depart for the Western Front. So like this idea that someone seeing hundred, someone walking up to what's left of the John Poray Mitchell statue hundreds of years from now made themselves get goosebumps because yeah. of the, uh, here's my recycling truck again, um, because of the idealized memoriam of his life mm -hmm. is kind of an interesting thing it's super cool really really cool um in case this adds any context uh i'm just gonna quickly read the horace smith ozymandias poem again mm, sure so uh i just sorry i just distracted myself i just finished watching breaking bad again and we watched the ozymandias episode and the whole time i was just like oh my god sabo Conican and ozymandias. oh yeah because they do an intro one of the is that what it is he reads the poem at the beginning of one of the episodes or something no he never actually reads the poem but he uh it was in a trailer or something i watched like a youtube clip of it or something interesting oh yeah. really cool um Oh, I think you said that last time. Yeah, that he was reading the the poem over the. Anyway, yeah, it must have been but a trailer. Yeah, he like it was so cool. There was this one scene where like Walter White literally falls over, and his face looked like a statue having fallen. Anyway, 
Um, okay, so this Horace Smith Ozymandias goes like this. In Egypt's sandy silence, all alone, stands a gigantic leg, which far off throws the only shadow that the desert knows. I am great Ozymandias, saith the stone. The king of kings, this mighty city, shows the wonders of my hand. The city's gone. Not but the leg remaining to disclose the sight of this forgotten Babylon. We wonder, and some hunter may express wonder like ours, when through the wilderness where London stood, holding the wolf in chase, he meets some fragment huge and stops to guess what powerful but unrecorded race once dwelt in that annihilated place. Yeah. Okay, so some direct quotes for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the city is gone. The city is gone. The hunter. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, why? Why did Horace Smith, and then why did Joanna, in turn, choose the word hunter? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking, I don't know if this is right or not, but my like very just guessy explanation is that I'm picturing in this case, New York City and Horace Smith's poem case, London, as having been like so taken over by the wilderness that it's now like a hunter who's literally just like in the wilderness hunting for food and being like, oh, shit. Like it's an explanation for why that guy is wandering in this forest that we're like, it's uninhabited now. Yeah. And I remember reading that that was a theme um, for the poets at the time of Horace Smith and Shelley that uh, poetry was set in like the far, far future and that it called back to historical elements. Oh, interesting. Oh, really, really cool. I wonder if it's in my notes up here somewhere, like 30 pages. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's on a past episode somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, here. Oh, well, eh, kind of. I paraphrased it. Um. Uh, so Shelley was a romanticist poet, which is defined by a dislike of the industrialized world and embracing of the natural world, love of the supernatural, um, and, uh, sets itself apart from old romantic poets by setting poetry in ancient lands. So Mm. not the future, it's the past. My bad. But it's like a weird, weird sci-fi, like, futurism thing. Yeah, it's like I a think. variation on that theme. Yeah. Yeah. A variation on that theme. Um, okay, what else? Oh, also, um, in the music video here, sorry, I'm totally jumping around, but in the music video, you know when she approaches the ambulance? Mm, when there's like that red... Recently. It's but- so sad. She gets like tears in her eyes, man. It's like so emotional just to watch her in the actual music video um but i think i think she starts approaching the ambulance at around i fell which is super interesting just make sure that's right should we watch the music video yeah let's maybe just okay um (laughs) ugh get emotional watching her have tears in her eyes also she's so fucking beautiful i don't understand so sorry sam and i just watched the music video um, and, and what? And what? I mean, I think the timing is probably coincidental 
because you said yeah. this was just like a, a room a random music video filming that they just did on the fly but it is um i mean it can be tied into uh probably the death of john Corey mitchell and like the greater themes of like loss in general i think yeah and death like the fact that she comes upon an ambulance i think is so poignant that like mm-hmm. um i think that yeah like swearing that our hair stood on end mm-hmm. when we we're watching the video i think it like ambulance comes into focus um okay sorry that was a distraction then uh, the idea that she has tears in her eyes when she starts saying look in despair is so beautiful like she's doing the looking and the despairing currently like she's she's the hunter right now yeah yeah and I think that's a fair a fair emotion to have you know upon encountering any kind of monument to loss like that right like yeah um, or any big historical thing from the past yeah and i love the idea that she's doing this like she's doing the looking and despairing at the shit from the past as you said and then i love the idea too that she might be doing it in the present like before it's all taken over by wilderness she's like already anticipated she's she's playing the role of the hunter she's just a hundred years before her before the hunter's time mm-hmm. um occupying that role of looking at everything that exists now and like seeing that sadness and that despair in it all because it's so human and so subject to to time mm-hmm I think makes sense with like the big big themes of this album too right like time is such a huge one oh um, totally I meant to say earlier when we were talking about um Flory Walker that like we get in time as a symptom the answer to like this question of like why uh what's the question I forget the question now um but in in time as a symptom we get like this thesis statement uh, that love is not a symptom of time that time is actually a symptom of love um and I, I thought it was interesting to think of this song in the context of like we start to explore the theme that like love has this time defying property when she's talking about um flory walker and she's talking about like look tell the ones that i love to remember and hold me like the love part is what I care about. And I love that that might be a theme that that comes up over and over again um, until we get to time of the symptom. Yeah. And I think that that's a part of monuments and tributes and all of that too, right? That these people were loved or admired or respected for whatever reason. And maybe that's not something that make sense in the present day or will make sense in the future but it did for a moment yeah totally what about all exempt all go out right so exempt meaning to a command to exit the stage right Mm -hmm. 
I'll exempt. I'll go out. I like. I take it as leave the stage, as in like dot. Like get out of here. Like like the stage is gonna remain beyond any of our little lives. So when it's time for us to go, we're gonna have to leave the stage. We don't get to be players. We don't get to be actors on the stage anymore. Um. Yeah, I like that too. That our time in this play is finished. The next actors can come on. Yeah, exactly. There's this Shakespeare quote um, where he says, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts, his act being seven ages. Um. Yeah. So just the idea that we're all acting here, we're all actors and like, yeah, the stage remains. We're going to play our part and then we're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective at the end of the song. The city is gone. Like we're projected forward to that hunter role. Mm-hmm. And um, in the lyric booklet is... Their parentheses around and what lies under now. Mm-hmm. So await the hunter to decipher the stone, open parentheses, and what lies under now. Close parentheses. Right. So I think mm-hmm. that net, na- so Sam is nodding. So I think that now refers to, like you said, like we've jumped in time uh, because now we're talking about the city being uh, under the stone, right? Like having been buried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of those layers that we've talked about before. Yeah. A zillion times. A zillion times. What stone is being deciphered? Is it just the monument or like whatever statue will be there? Yeah. That's what I took it as, as like the general um, stand in for whatever we're referencing at the time. It could yeah. be any of the things that we mentioned in this song or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Um, I, in talking about stone here, it just made me notice how many materials, like building materials are mentioned throughout the song. We have Mm. stone and marble and plastic and steel. And uh, I mean, rust isn't a building material, but it's referencing the material. and I have nothing to say about that other than that there's like a lot of mentioning of like the stuff that humans use to like make our lives sort of in contrast with like our very um, uh, vulnerable bodies that decay a lot faster than these materials do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean that rust touches on the decay of it a little bit too, right? The tributes we have left to rust in the park. I wonder if that's referencing the same park again. Mm. All right. Have we done the whole song? I, I I think we have. Crazy. I mean, my notes very much end here. <laughs> um very crazy. We've done the whole thing. Yay. I love it, but I'm glad it's done. <laughs> I'm glad it's done, too. I am so fucking stoked for leaving the city. Oh, my God. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about leaving the city. So I love that song. I'm so mm-hmm. excited to get to it. Mm-hmm. Me too. It is one of my very favorites on yeah. the album. For sure. I have such a distinct memory of um, listening to it when I lived in Montreal. And I used to walk home over the mountain and like just the yellow leaves um, and like walking through the alleys filled with art. It's such like a place based song for me. Yeah. Thank you guys so fucking much for listening to our entire discussion of Sapoconican. This was part eight. This was the last part. Um, we're impressed if you're still here. We really appreciate you guys. Really? Yeah. Being engaged and giving us the space to talk about this really cool song. So thank you for that. We have uh, an email you should contact us at, uh, hopelessendeavor at gmail.com. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash a hopeless endeavor. We have bonus episodes and early releases there. So you should check us out. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. Sam does an excellent job running the Instagram. It is a Hopeless Endeavor podcast. Feel free to join us over there. Send us messages, whatever you like. Just hang out. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Thank you, guys. Oh, there's a Facebook group. You should join that, too. Look us up there if you want. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll be back next week with the gorgeous, the beautiful, the masterpiece, Leaving the City. Can't wait. Until then... Look in despair. <laughs> Look in despair. Uh, try to do well, but don't be. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>